don't know about you, Thomas, but my calendar goes from February to May. <laughs> well, mine is more sort of um, pre-Easter right. and then post-Easter. Pre-Easter and post-Easter. Mm. B and A. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. Uh, well, so um, apologies to the listeners who have been waiting on tenterhooks. I mean, you would be surprised at the number of emails that I've received asking me when the next episode is coming out. The people who have stopped me in the streets to ask the same question. It's been more than one. <laughs> and uh, so here we are. It's um, what has happened since our last episode, Thomas? Well, yes, we, we, we've had Lent and we've had a concert um, and we've had Holy Week and Easter. Now, Lent we know about, of course. Last year we talked about the fact that in Lent there's no solo organ music and people get a little bit confused about that. That's right. Uh, the concert was a um, joint performance with the song company, yes. as I remember it, uh, performing a lot of Bach. And now, Bach, you are something of an expert about. I wouldn't say that, um, but I'm very fond of Bach and his music and... It turns out so are the, the boys of the choir. Um, they really enjoyed preparing the, the concert with the song company because uh, somehow Bach's music uh, manages to um, not only be, be difficult and engaging for, for performers to prepare, but also wonderful to listen to as well. Now, we talked about the preparations for the concert last time, but were you pleased with the way that the boys uh, performed? Yes, very much so. Um, and it was uh, wonderful to see their reaction to um, uh, being part of the, the bigger picture. Um, one of the things that the song company did in, in the concert was to perform one of um, the movements from Bach's Art of Fugue. Now, this is normally um, realised with instruments, um, but uh, in, for this performance, the, the singers of the song company sang the um, individual lines of, of the fugue to various uh, different sounds and words and fragments of, of words. And the boys thought this was really, really fascinating and, and rather cool. And so did I. I was at one of the performances and um, you told me about that ahead of time. And I, ha I have to confess that I had been a little bit sceptical uh, of the whole thing. But I thought, well, it sounded like one of those things that had been done or was just a little bit too on the nose. But no, you're quite right. My, my experience, the, the, the final product of that performance of the Art of Fugue was, was really quite enjoyable to listen to. One of the nice um, aspects of, of this performance is that because Bach was, you know, in many ways uh, seeking to demonstrate his mastery of the form of fugue uh, through this composition right at the end of his life. It's basically a sort of uh, a textbook demonstration, isn't it? Demonstration and, and a summation yeah. of... of of, of a whole life's and, and career's work in 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 this area, um, he manages not only to um, weave various different fugal subjects together, but perhaps most um, pleasingly, uh, he uses the letters of his own name. Um, B, A, C, and H in the, the German um, musical alphabet. Um, B is B flat, um, and H is what we would talk of as, as B, as B natural. Um, so you can therefore play Bach's name and. Uh, 
in this fugue, when uh, that subject, the BACH theme, comes about, it was possible in this performance for the singers to actually sing B A C H. And again, watching the boys' faces when that happened, because I'd, I'd told them about the theme, but I didn't tell them um, that uh, the singers would actually be singing those letter names. Did uh, you know? I did, yes. <laughs> right. Um, so it was well received, was it, the concert overall? Yes, I think so. I mean, the, the, the song company is an interesting ensemble, isn't it, in that they come up with very imaginative concert programmes. And so... Yes, indeed. Um, I know that talking to Anthony Pitts afterwards, uh, who is the uh, is it the director of the song company, yes. he, he was saying that really they that he's very keen to collaborate with you as much as possible and with the with the choir because he sees that as you know being very fruitful indeed so it, it has been we've done a number of things together and um have had more planned um but uh, an, another tangible way that we've um, been able to collaborate is that uh, anthony very kindly composed uh, an arnus day for the cathedral choir to sing um which we were able to sing on palm sunday this year, um, and it's called, uh, well, it's from a mass that is yet to be completed, but uh, it will be called the Missa Peregrinationis, um, the, the wandering mass or the... the mass of wandering, the yes. mass, of, mass of peregrination. That's yes. for the, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, that was a, a, a great privilege for us to, to receive that piece of work and to be able to perform it. So did you commission that specifically, or is it something that has, as no, it were... Anthony, um, presented it to me um, more or less out of the blue, although um, he and I had been talking about him writing something for the choir and I would uh, like to be able to commission him to write something um, more substantial, but this was a, a gift and one that uh, was very gratefully received. Excellent. Well, we look forward to hearing uh, the rest of the Mass as well, I mean, uh, other than just the Annus Day. When so do I. <laughs> at length, that, that, is, that is produced. I mean, it's no, no small feat, I have no doubt. Indeed. Indeed. Following Lent, inevitably, what comes is Easter, of course. Yes, and I was reminded just this afternoon about the importance of consonants in uh, choral singing because we sang... Uh, a motet at mass um, with an English text. And that's a little bit unusual for the Cathedral Choir. We don't sing a lot of um, English texts in, in, in mass. Um, anyway, this one um, had a line in it. Lent's long shadows have departed. All his woes are over now. Um, but I did have to say to the boys that it sounded as though they were singing Len's long shadows. And um, I don't know who, who Len is. Len is but who is Len? Yes. <laughs> we, we weren't and interested how, is he in tall him. or is it just uh, <laughs> during the winter? <laughs> well, at, at this time, of course, with the sun being low in the sky. Mm. Mm. It's more crepuscular. Yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of work inevitably at Easter for you, Thomas. Um, there's uh, how many services... During, you know, from Palm Sunday through to Easter Sunday, how many services in total would you say? I've lost count. It yeah. must be something like 12, 13. Well, let's think. So Palm Sunday, you've got the, the High Mass and then the Vespers. Yes, yeah, so the choir sings twice on Palm Sunday. Yeah. Then we have uh, Monday Thursday, there's the Chrism Mass, um, the Mass of the Lord's Supper in the evening, followed by Choral Compline. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is sung by the, the, the Lake Arks, yeah. On... Good Friday, the scholars sing Stations of the Cross at 10 a.m. Then there's the 3 p.m. Solemn Liturgy, followed by um, uh, something of an ad hoc um, performance, which we do every year, of the Lamentations of Jeremiah Jeremiah by Thomas Tallis. Um, Again, that's just the lay clerks. 
So that's after the liturgical action on Friday afternoon. That's right. Then on the morning of Holy Saturday, the scholars sing Tenebrae. Um, now, I have to admit that uh, our version of Tenebrae is is not the textbook, or I should say the, um, the Liber Usualis um, version of Tenebrae, which was reformed in the um, during the Second Vatican Council, which is to say it was reformed um, out of existence. There is actually no tenebrae in the, the current version of the Roman Rite. So what we have attempted to do is um, put something together out of the remnants that's um, joining together the, the offices of um, matins or the office of readings um, together with morning prayer or lords um, to, to form something like the the old um, Office of Tenebrae, and the scholars sing that and did so particularly well this I'd, year. I'd agree with that, but I, I have to say that the uh, the canter for the Lamentations of Jeremiah at that Tenebrae was also <laughs> very enjoyable to listen to, Thomas. Well, that was something I wasn't expecting to have to do. I'd um, been trying to gently encourage one of the scholars to take on the challenge of of singing um one of the or a section from the the lamentations uh to song, Gloria to Chant, say, that's yeah, right yeah. Uh, uh which i think he would have done very well but uh, on the day he decided that he really did not want to do that and with no time to appoint any of the others uh, to do so i had to do it myself and uh, i found that rather scary in fact it was probably the, the the scariest thing i had to do in holy week is that the most you've ever sung uh in public in the cathedral? Oh, occasionally I've, I've had to do bits and pieces, but right. in my previous job I had to do a lot more of it. Oh, right. But but it's not just singing at Tenebrae, is it, Thomas? No, I mean, the perhaps the enduring um, uh, love of Tenebrae comes from the rather dramatic uh, circumstances. So it always used to be celebrated in the evening in order that it would be dark, as the name would suggest, Tenebrae meaning darkness, darkness or shadow. And... Uh, then, um, it doesn't work so well at 10 a.m. on a Saturday it doesn't. morning. Although the cathedral with all the lights turned off, turn off is, is sort of gloomy, at least. That's true, yeah. Uh, so, unfortunately, we, we are un- unable to have it in the evening, um, but we do have it um, with all the lights, all the electric lights switched off, um, except for candles. Um, uh, uh, Very moody. Yes, that's right. Uh, several candles are lit and extinguished one after the other um, after each um, piece of music, each of the psalms is sung and finally only one candle is left um, symbolising Christ, the light of Christ in the world and when we get to the the climactic point of Tenebrae that uh, Christ candle is removed and hidden from view and then the participants make a great noise or strepitous um, symbolising the earthquake that uh, happened when when Christ died, and that's always an uh, enjoyable moment. Now, the for great the boys. noise for those who have never been to Tenebrae is made by effectively members of the choir and perhaps the congregation bashing things against the back of benches. That's right. Um, the your, your little your little blurb inside the front cover of the booklet talks about the uh, confused shouts. <laughs> we've we've told the the scholars in the choir um, 
that we tend to, to opt out of the confused shouting. Um, some of them opted in. Um, well, don't they always? <laughs> but contemporary accounts um, talk about the cardinals in the Sistine Chapel using to uh, to scrape their shoes against the floor and, and to bang their um, liturgical books. So it's the great noise. The great noise, great and noise. it symbolises the harrowing of hell, as I understand it, yeah. by, all of by those, Christ. All of those nice, fluffy... The things that things. are going on on Holy Saturday. Yeah. And then um, after the noise subsides, the Christ candle returns. And uh, that's the end of the service. Hope is restored. Mm. So after Tenebrae, of course, is the Easter Vigil, which is a fairly important uh, ceremony. It is. The Easter Vigil um, this year happened at six o'clock, which was just after darkness had fallen. And uh, uh, yes, the, the light of Christ uh, makes its way into the cathedral. The, the great Easter candle is lit, the exultet is sung, and we have the first Gloria of Easter. Um, this year, um, accompanied by trumpets, trombones, and timpani, which was uh, opulent and rather wonderful. We'll, we'll return to that in a moment. But then, so then, after the Easter Vigil, you, of course, have Mass on Easter Sunday morning. Is That's that right. Um, in fact, there are two choral Masses on Easter Sunday morning, the 9 o'clock sung by the St. Mary's Singers, and then the, the 10.30 Solemn Mass sung by the Cathedral Choir. And then the lay clerks still have one more service to sing, and that's Solemn Vespers and Benediction on Easter Sunday evening. So returning to the beginning of this list, uh, the point was that we were counting up the number of ceremonies during Holy Week, including the uh, St. Mary's Singers on Easter Sunday morning. I think we're looking at 13, 14. That's right. yeah. That's quite a lot of work. It is, but... And um, you're not singing the same thing at every single uh, oh, service. Oh, absolutely not. There's, because uh, that wouldn't work. No, although um, there is one piece of music that um, features in both the Easter Vigil and the Easter Sunday Morning Ooh, Mass. what's that one? That's the arrangement of Ophelie et Filier by Martin Baker. Ah, yeah, um, Because it's very popular. And, uh, People do enjoy singing we, we that, don't they? We all enjoy that. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, everything else is completely different. Now, you mentioned the setting for brass and timpani of the Gloria at the Easter Vigil. That was uh, Vierne's Messe Solennelle, is that That's right? right, which is really for two organs and choir. Um, but this arrangement, including three trumpets and three trombones, and timpani um, was made for the choir of St. Thomas's Fifth Avenue in New York not all that many years ago. So it's a relatively recent arrangement and not by Louis Vierne, of course. There's an extremely fine recording by the choir of St. Thomas um, featuring this uh, arrangement, uh, which is uh, why I decided we must do it. And it's, it's really very, very good. And uh, as I understand it, the um, desire to have additional instrumentation at these festive ceremonies comes from on high, is that right? <laughs> yes, it does, um, which, is, which is to say our Archbishop, um, who takes a very keen interest in, in the music. I, I think um, it's fair to say that I, you know, I've been lucky enough to have worked for a number of bishops and archbishops who um, appreciate liturgical music very deeply. But Archbishop Fisher does so in a really quite a visceral way. He has um, an overall uh, view of, of how he wants um, the liturgy to work and how he hopes it will communicate something. Um, and of course, he's thinking about his role in that, what he's going to preach about, um, the themes that are important to him at a, at a particular moment. And he sees that the music is part of that overall 
picture. And it's very important to him, of course, that the glory of Easter should be reflected in every way possible, including the music. So brass and uh, timpani was was what we did this year. Very good. And well, it's nice to be included in that 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 type of consideration i suppose really it is very much so yeah anyway so all of this is to explain uh, partly why the podcast has had a little bit of a, a break but um for the last couple of months but last episode we did promise that um that we would answer people's questions uh, and we have had a few questions that we've received by carrier pigeon smoke signal uh, and even the occasional electronic mail um, now, Thomas, have you have you received some of these questions? I think you have. Have you not? Yes, um, some of them which uh, you have written down. I have somewhere. Um, let me see if I can find them. The first was from a visiting clerical person who um, noticed the order of events and how things happen at choral mass on weeknights. Now, of course, the choir sings, is it um, four nights um, during the week, Monday to Thursday? And the usual course of events is that after the first reading, the responsorial psalm is then not sung, but instead the choir sings a gradual or alleluia. And the question was, well, why is that and how is that supportable? Ah, okay. So uh, the the principal book, and there are several books that um, contain all the necessary texts for celebration of the liturgy. But the principal source, of course, for the Mass is the Roman Missal. And uh, in the Reformed Roman Missal, the one that's been in use since um, the late 60s uh, up to the present day, the uh, description of exactly how um, Mass is to proceed um, at the beginning of that book is known as the General Instruction. And so um, that is the 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 prime source of um, direction when it comes to, to ordering the Mass. If you read the general instruction, it explains that after the first reading, there's to be a response. And then it goes on to list in order of precedence um, where that sung response is to be taken from. The book of, of all the music... That, that goes along with the Mass, that the, the prime source of music is um, a book of Gregorian chant known as the Graduale Romanum. So at every point where there's to be music in Mass, um, in order of precedence, the first listed source is the Graduale Romanum. And in the Graduale Romanum, there are, in fact, two different types of chants that are to be sung between the reading or readings and and the gospel. The first of those is known as the gradual. The second is the gospel acclamation, usually an alleluia. Now, the graduale romanum itself has a preface or um, uh, instructional um, uh, beginning, uh, which describes how to use the various chants in the book. And it explains that... Um, if you're having only uh, one reading followed by a gospel, then you can choose to sing either the gradual or the alleluia. You don't do both. Mm -hmm. um, we usually, outside of Lent, choose to sing the alleluia. So there's just one piece of music sung and then the gospel reading happens. Now, if you go back to the general instruction of the Roman Missal, 
After explaining about the options from the Graduale Romanum, it says that for masses without music, you can read the responsorial psalm. Now, the responsorial psalm, in fact, um, I won't say it was a reinvention because the idea of, of this having having a, a, an antiphon or what we now tend to call the response and verses from one of the psalms, uh, in fact, never went out. It, it exists in, in Gregorian chant, of course. Um, but in its current formation used at that point between readings at mass, that was something of a restoration. But it was initially, at least, when, when the current liturgy was dreamt up in the 60s, um, intended to be something that was spoken. It was not really thought that it would be ever sung mm-hmm. um, because the number one intention was to use the the gradual or the alleluia from the graduale romanum and yet very commonly people are used to singing the responsorial psalm even if they sing Absolutely. effectively nothing else and and that has been the way it is it has developed so much uh, to the point where um the the first option suggested by the roman missal which is that you sing um, something from the gradual has been more or less forgotten um, right. in most places. Yeah. So, in fact, we're just doing what was envisaged by the reformers of the liturgy. Mm. Um, just a follow-up question of my own, which is that I've noticed sometimes that on Sundays when you have got a responsorial psalm, the words of the response are at variance with what's in my missile in front of me. What's that all about? <laughs> that's that's a, a, you're absolutely right. Eagle-eyed. Um, well, I do my best. And the reason that uh, they would be at variance is that uh, you've presumably purchased your missile in Australia which is the country, of course, in which we live. Um, now, it would be so much simpler if uh, now that it's permissible to have the text of the Mass proclaimed in the, the so-called vernacular, um, if there were only one English. But of course, just as in the secular world, that isn't the case. It's not the case uh, in the liturgical world either. Um, the first translation from the Latin lectionary, that is all the, the texts of the readings and psalms for Mass, was um, made in England, but other countries were given permission to make their own translations within a, a, a relatively narrow set of parameters. And I believe it actually has to do with copyright, with international copyright laws Um as to why um, there should be slightly different um, translations existing in this country as do in, let's say, the United Kingdom. Now, the Australian bishops made a decision, or at least (laughs) I don't know whether it was them or the people that were publishing the Australian (laughs) English (laughs) translation of the lectionary readings, and it these are separate to the other texts of Mass for which there was no permission for them to make their own translation. Um, in Australia, it was decided to translate the antiphons, that's the responses of the Psalms, um, entirely separately to the rest of the Psalm texts. Um, so, uh, therefore, we get a variation in Australia from one line to the next. If it appears in the text of the psalm, um, it might be, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Whereas if that same line appeared as an antiphon on its own, it might the, be, the response is, as a response, it, yeah. it might be, let us go rejoicing into the house of the Lord. Mm. Now, um, I think that's not great. <laughs> 
I think it's unhelpful for um, the setting of a, um, a corpus of musical texts. If you want a congregation to be able to respond um, with familiarity, it's unhelpful to provide um, a variety of translations of the same texts. So therefore, I exercise the option of using the universal English translation of the lectionary, um, which is that created um, by the Bishop's Conference of England and Wales. It's perfectly licit for use in this country, and I've made a, a decision that I think it's uh, more useful. Do you ever get questions from yeah, some, rather, of your, some of your clerical masters? Uh, perhaps not often, but, but mm -hmm. it, it, it certainly has been questioned. Right, and you stick with it. Yes, for, for the reasons that well, I said. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly seems to. Uh, next question that we have is uh, one uh, which comes with a stipulation of rules. The question goes like this. My least favourite part of the Mass is the prayers of the faithful. What's yours? And the rules that the question asker has set are as follows. Your answer must be both something prescribed in the liturgical books and non-voluntary, and by non-voluntary I think this person just means compulsory, but I, I, we can argue about whether those terms are the same. But uh, Well, there are a few things that one might say <laughs> there, and, I, and actually I want to start with a, a fairly geeky uh, response, which isn't really quite an answer to the question, mm. which is to say that there's no such thing as the prayers of the faithful. Um, in fact, the section that comes between the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist, um, where there is a sequence of intercessory prayer, is actually deemed as one elongated prayer. And in the recently retranslated English Missal, it's known as the Universal Prayer. Even before that, actually, it was known as the Prayer of the Faithful. But because it does get broken down into a number of discrete um, intercessions, um, it, uh, it really is one prayer. So are you saying that you want to, to bat the question back to the question asker for being invalid? <laughs> no, I just want to make that point. And it's actually unlike... Um, other sequences of prayers that occur in different liturgies. For example, uh, in various Anglican services, um, you, we, you do get a, a number of, of separate prayers that happen in sequence. Mm. Um, but if the prayer of the faithful or universal prayer has been properly composed, actually it's begun by the celebrant who uh, will open up the prayer, then the intercessions that follow are not separate on their own. They might make different intercessions, but they don't, ha they don't have a closing because the celebrant himself um, collects all those different intercessions at the end of the prayer of the faithful. Mm. Anyway. That is interestingly geeky, as you say. <laughs> but, uh. That uh, may well be um, some people's least favourite part of the Mass. And as far as the rule goes that one can't choose anything for this um, answer that is not compulsory, well, there's not very much about the current order of Mass that is compulsory. Um Almost everything is up for grabs. And one of the most shocking um, to many people uh, aspects of the liturgical reform is that for the first time in thousands of years, the canon of the Mass, what we now call the Eucharistic prayer, um, was thrown open to invention. Mm. And there are now 
so many different options for the canon. I mean, there's not just the the four Eucharistic prayers that form the 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 first or the the primary part of the missal. In that regard, there are then a whole lot of other optional. Eucharistic prayers that can be substituted at the whim of the celebrant and for various occasions. Well, there are Eucharistic prayers for various purposes. For and, reconciliation, for mm. children, there, and, and a few other iterations as well. Mm. Um, so what's my least favourite? Well, I don't really think there is much that is absolutely compulsory that, that I have a problem with. But You're I'll, saying you don't like Mass. Is that where <laughs> this is going? No, I think that the, those those few elements of the Mass which are absolutely compulsory, I have no problem with. Right. So one, what is absolutely compulsory? You've got the I, sign of the cross at the beginning. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah. Or, or, or the, the ordinary of the Mass, or the fact that there should be a liturgy of the Word, mm-hmm. or an offertory. <laughs> um, right. A, a Eucharistic prayer. Uh, I've got no problem with any of that. Yep. But one thing I really don't like um, because I think it's just a waste of words and ultimately people's time and patience is the so-called solemn blessings that happen at the end of mass. This is where um, there's just an opportunity for more um, liturgical ease, more just sort of um, words to say, we hope God will bless us. Well, the whole Mass is an expression of our desire to receive divine favour in various forms. Why at the end, when we've actually been lucky enough to receive the very body and blood of, of our Lord, we then need to say, oh, and we just hope that for all these reasons and because he's really so wonderful, um, we ought to somehow get a little bit more out of this. I just don't see why that's at all helpful. Very good. Not a compulsory part of the Mass, of course, but uh, <laughs> sorry, question asker about that. But um, you, Well, you, all the most objectionable, to my way of thinking, anyway, um, parts of the Mass are, in fact, optional. Mm. So those are the bits that you leave out when you have any chance. Well, I never have any chance because I, I'm not a priest and I'm not uh, in the position of, uh, of celebrating Mass. We'll discuss that after the recording is finished. That's fine. <laughs> um, thank you very much. I, I, I'm sure that our question askers are very grateful to you too, Thomas. Thank you. All, all two of them. <laughs>
you mentioned the um, Ophelia at Filier earlier, and I, I understand that, that you've experienced a little bit of controversy since the choir's singing. Well, in, in a controversy in a rather interesting way. Yeah. In that um, the person who manages um, social media on behalf of the choir, which uh, incidentally is not me. Well, it's Mrs. McCarthy. We've we've had her on the podcast yes, before. That's I mean, right. she's basically all our boss here. So. Yeah, indeed. Well, the choir has posted some recordings of things that the choir sang during Holy Week and over the Easter weekend, including Martin Baker's wonderful arrangement of the hymn Ophelie et Filiae. And those videos... Um, have uh, received really quite an extraordinary number of views online. And it's really interesting for us to see the the way that they've been received. They've been received overwhelmingly positively. They've been shared an awful lot. Um, and there have been quite a lot of comments. And it's the comments that are, I've found interesting. So... Yeah, internet comments, on, especially on videos, can always be a little bit scary. Well, well, indeed. And of course, we, we, we were used to hearing about the, the pitfalls of, of participating in social media and, and you know, how, how you basically have to take um, that sort of commentary with a pinch of salt. Yeah, you really have to kind of uh, put your armour on, don't you? For... Indeed. But nevertheless, I think it's interesting that this is a way that people are um, not only uh, encountering the, the cathedral choir and, it, and its singing, but also, to an extent, interacting with it. So what interested me personally is that amongst um, a lot of comments uh, praising the, the excellent singing and, and organ playing, there have been a number of comments expressing surprise and even dismay about the conducting and of course that means me <laughs> now i was actually um watching some of your conducting during holy week and easter and i thought gosh it looks exhausting i mean you don't <laughs> you don't really don't want to do it with a bad shoulder or a bad elbow do you because you you really throw a huge amount into it i mean just just in terms of physicality apart from anything else well that that's very true and i think it could be um that's aspect of the way I conduct the Cathedral Choir could be part of uh, what some people have been uh, commenting on and, mm -hmm. and even mm -hmm. criticising. Um, and look, the first thing I, I should say is that um, it's hard or, or um, it can be very confronting for any musician to hear a recording of the music that they make. Well, it's also very confronting for a conductor to look back at a video Oh, of, yeah. of themselves in the act. I can well believe it, yes. <laughs> um, and the the nature of the um, video setup that we have in the cathedral um, means that often when the choir is singing, the camera that shows the choir is in fact trained on me. Yeah, facing conductor. you, yes. I it's facing that. me. So that's an unusual view. That's a view that most people don't see. And if I'm very honest, it's something that doesn't actually cross my mind because I'm far more um, focused on trying to uh, get the the music, the best music that I can out of the singers in you've front got of other, me. You've got other things to think about, in other words. That's right. Um, but um, what I would say is that I, I do think about and I'm very aware that, well, put it simply, what you get as a conductor is very much dependent on what the choir sees. And a lot of extraneous or unhelpful gesture um, certainly doesn't um, improve the, the singing of the choir. No, indeed. 
And when I look back at my own conducting, the first reaction is is one of horror. Why is that then? Well, it does um, look extreme. Right. Um, and it does uh, certainly um, seem to be, well, uh, perhaps unnecessary. But the next thing that I would do is then say, well, listen, listen to the music. Yeah, listen to the result. And going back to what I said before, that I'm not conducting for the camera. Mm. There's absolutely no part of me that is thinking, how does this come across to someone sitting at home watching this on their computer screen? Um, what I'm trying to do is to get those 24 little boys um, and the, the 12 or so professional men um, with all the um, variance of experience and skill and uh, um, musicality that's inherent in that grouping of people. Um, I'm trying to get the most nuanced and musical and uh, effective musical result that I can. Mm. And one ought to bear in mind that conducting a choir like the Cathedral Choir, um, it's often called choir training because I see the boys almost every day and we rehearse quite a lot. I see the men an awful lot less. They come in often for very short amounts of rehearsal where we have the full choir together. I can be much more efficient with what I show them than what I tell them. Mm. But that's not to say that I haven't conveyed a certain amount of information. I mark the scores quite carefully um, so that a lot of detail is actually on the page in front of the singers. Um, I've also spent, as I said, a lot of time with the boys, so there are things that I've told them, which means that when it comes to the performance, perhaps foremost in my mind is trying to elicit some kind of emotional response from them because the choir can sing the notes. They, they're a good choir. They are good singers. The boys are trained. They can, they can certainly sing the notes. It's mm. getting the, them to choose to and getting them to choose to sing them in a particular way. Also, f trying, I'm trying to avoid any hint of boredom from any of us. And remember, um, in Holy Week, so the, um, the clips that have gone up on, on Facebook recently came from the very last services we sang, from the Easter Vigil and the um, Easter Sunday morning mass. Well, we did our tally before. That was 13, by that yeah. time we'd we'd already done at least ten yeah. um, major services. So it's not that I'm flogging a dead horse, but I am attempting to get a fresh performance out of this group of people. Mm. And as I said, I look back at it, and I might even say it looks a little bit grotesque. But the next thing I'd say, if you switch that off, switch off the vision and listen to the sound, does it sound confused? Does it sound as though it's not together? Well. I think not. So what are the, the uh, comments saying? Well, I've, I've, I've got a number of them here in front of me. Um, so one of them said, Magnificent, minus the conducting, which is a bit distracting. Sorry, just being honest. <laughs> well, I mean, indeed. I mean, that, and that is as much about the video as, as it is about the conducting, because as you were saying earlier, I mean, the, the, the point is that the shot that they see when they're looking at the choir is trained on you as conductor. That's absolutely right. And, yeah. and look, I, I, I can't disagree yeah. uh, with, that, with that commenter. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's another one. Um, just says, side note. I don't know how anyone is following that director. <laughs> well, I suppose I don't know either, except that they are. 
Yeah, there's not a whole lot you can say back to that, really, is there? <laughs> Indeed. Um, what else have we got? Here's one. I do feel I need to comment on the conducting style. I'm just not sure what to comment, though. <laughs> Someone underneath that said, there seems to be a bit of confusing conducting gestures. Someone else has said, I wonder if the sound and picture are correctly synced. There is something in that. Um, it's not quite... Um, 100%, yeah. 100% in sync. But I don't think that's really the point of what, what some mm. people are, are noticing. But here's perhaps the, the most interesting one. The conductor in this video evidently trained as an aircraft marshaller before trying his hand at music. Now, can we actually set that straight? Is that true? <laughs> it's not Did true. Did you work at Air New Zealand previously? As no, no, not at all. Ground handler? But... No? What I would say uh, in response to that, apart from the fact that I suppose up to a point it's mildly amusing, is that um, the reality of the situation was that I'm not, in this instance, conducting just the choir in front of me. I'm conducting the choir in front of me, plus an organist to my left, plus three trombones, three trumpets and timpani who are sort of behind the choir, but when I say behind, literally behind the heads of some of the choir. So I'm having to find a way of making sure that they can see the beat as well. Plus an organist who's in the um, western transept of the cathedral, um, watching me through a camera, which is not the same camera that the um, is shown on the video, but is actually behind me. And if I don't um, keep my gesture outside of my own body, that camera is un completely unable to see my beat. Even when it can see the beat, it's actually quite hard for it to see the particulars of where the, where the beats are falling. So actually, it's not unlike marshalling aircraft, mm. <laughs> keeping that particular piece of music together in St. Mary's Cathedral, which has probably the largest and washiest acoustic, at least in this country, is not all that easy. And I'm quite mindful of what's required in order to do it. And again, I'd say, well, okay, it may look like marshalling aircraft. It may, in fact, be a little bit like marshalling aircraft. <laughs> but does it sound chaotic? Well, nobody said that there's anything like that about the way that the, the music comes across. Now, to get a little bit touchy-feely, um, how did it make you feel when you saw these comments? Well, I think all musicians are usually their own worst critics. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about conducting style. Everything I do as a musician, um, I always feel a little bit like a fraud standing up in front of a choir or um, any group of musicians, one is aware that the collective musical experience in front of you is far greater than what you will achieve in your own lifetime ever. It's a, an enormous privilege. And if you stop to think about it, it's a, it's a very scary one. So my first thought is, oh my gosh, I've been found out. That's the old uh, imposter syndrome, isn't it? I think. That's yes. right. And, and I, I, yeah. I think that, Many of us um, think like that. Um, well, but, as I understand it, that if you don't, you, it means that you're a sociopath. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, but not only that, um, you know, I, I have um, I've had conducting lessons in my life. I've been to uh, classes, to master classes. I've, I've seen a lot of teaching of conducting. And of course, I'm aware that there's an awful lot of um, technique behind it. Um, also, in my own experience, uh, uh, particularly um, standing in front of 
an orchestra, which I don't do every day, and is really very different to conducting a choir, I have... I'm very aware of the need to to think very carefully about conducting technique, about um, a kind of grammar of gesture, about what this, what a group of of musicians that I don't know or are not used to working with me need to see in order to to make music in the most efficient way. You mean keeping it consistent, effectively? Yeah, but also to be able to communicate through gesture with people that don't know me. Right. So there's there's a there's a so it becomes immediately obvious. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, I'm aware of all that, but let's just remember this is my choir that see me every day, that um, I'm certainly aware when things work and when they don't. Um, I know what they're capable of and I know what I'm trying to achieve and how I'm trying to get that from them. Um, I also laugh at myself because some of the lay clerks have reminded me in the past that when I first came to uh, into this job back in 2010, um, and I remember saying this one morning, I, I was frustrated at not getting the response I'd wanted from them. I said, I'm not going to be one of these conductors that flaps around like a fool in front. And here I am 10 years later and I've become exactly that. And of course, that to an extent... Um, makes me think. Are um, you flapping around like a fool in front? Well, I mean, it it's a question like, that we all have to ask it ourselves. It does look a bit like that. Yeah. Um, but look, uh, I'm trying to work uh, with with the group that I have and with the circumstances, um, which are many and varied. Well, thank you for shedding some light on your own thinking <laughs> on the whole thing, because I mean, as I, as I say, um, and I, evidently I'm not the only one, you know, watching you conduct is is quite something to behold and it must be quite exhausting there's another point to be made which is that i don't conduct everything like that no i mean these comments have come from from uh, two videos of particularly bombastic pieces of music mm. i suppose an example of of contrast would be um for, uh, say that the lay clerks or even a small group of the lay clerks um singing mass on a on a thursday evening that doesn't Oh, at least I don't think it requires the same kind of range of physical gesture that marshalling the forces we've just described on Easter Sunday requires. What do you think would happen if you tried to uh, use that? that the, well, it would be a disaster. Right. It, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I suppose that's the point. I think that um, however it looks, it has worked and I have felt it necessary um, in order to make the music that's been recorded and, and watched from Easter Sunday work. But I equally know that if I was to to carry on like that in different circumstances, it just wouldn't. Mm. You must have had some nice comments, though. There's a lot of nice comments as well. Oh, well, that's, that's and, really... And, but I, I haven't wanted to, um, to, to call these other comments out um, just because they're negative. Um, actually, I think it's interesting, and as I've tried to explain, um, it has given me um, pause... Um, to to think hmm. about a number of issues, um, and uh, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting and worth discussion. Well, no doubt we'll be hearing some further comments and uh, about uh, your conducting style as perhaps it develops, Thomas. Uh, <laughs> I think that's it for for May, and thank you very much. It's now well and truly after Easter, uh, and that's the end of the podcast for this month. Um, as always, we are very keen for people to uh, like and subscribe to the podcast. Please do subscribe if you're not properly subscribed in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, because 
Um, it's good for our numbers and it's good for us to know that people enjoy uh, hearing what we do, what we do here at the podcast. Uh, and um, if you can um, bring yourself to leave a review, ideally positive, but, you know, we can pick apart negative reviews too uh, on uh, our iTunes, then those will be um, very happily received. Thank you very much. And also, if you have a comment about anything that we've talked about today on the podcast, you can either leave a comment uh, on this um, episode's page on the website, which is at cathedralchoir.sydney slash podcast, and then you choose this uh, May 2019 uh, uh, episode. Uh, or alternatively, if you don't want to post a public comment, then you can um, at any time send an email to off at cathedralchoir.sydney, and that gets to the the people who are, are waiting for your emails even as we speak uh but for now thomas have we, have we got a, a piece of music to to play to our listeners yes let's listen to ophelia et filiae and how bombastic is the conducting <laughs> well see if you can tell on Excellent. the podcast 